This looks like my desk back home. Got stuff everywhere. If you have your Bible with you, would you take it out, please, and turn to 1 Peter? 1 Peter is where we're going to begin tonight. We'll be in 1 Peter chapter 5 here in just a moment. 1 Peter chapter 5, and we'll read a couple of verses there in that opening. 1 Peter chapter 5, and we'll read the end of verse 5, and then 6 and 7 here in just a moment. 1 Peter chapter 5, 5, 6, and 7. Uh, I can't believe this weekend has just flown by. I can't believe that it's over. But I'm grateful for the time that we've gotten to spend together, especially with these young people. And what I'd like to do tonight is just kind of illustrate a lot of the things that we've talked about this evening. So I want to begin by asking a few questions. Who in here, and this is for adults and kids alike, I want you to raise your hand. There's not going to be anything embarrassing, I promise. I don't think. Who in here has ever had their foot fall asleep? You know, okay, just about everybody. All right, now I want you to raise your hand. Who in here has ever had neuropathy in their foot where it feels like that almost all the time, maybe even worse? Okay, so one, two, three, four, five. But we've had a few like that, okay? Who in here has ever had a headache before? You know, you laugh at that. My grandfather did not have a headache until he was in his 70s. Not a single one. And then he had nothing but headaches for like three years, which is kind of weird. Who in here has ever had a migraine? Okay, quite a few, but not as many hands, right? Is there a difference between those two migraine people? Absolutely there is. Okay, who in here has ever had a stomach bug of any kind? You know, just a stomach bug, yeah. Who in here has ever had food poisoning? Oh my goodness, right? <laughs> that is the worst. That is the absolute worst. Who in here has ever had a cold? All right, and who in here has ever had the flu? Is there a difference between a cold and the flu? Absolutely there is. And all I want to show by asking those questions is that each of those pairs, the two things being described are very similar, only one is much, much worse. It's a matter of degree. And sometimes we think we fully understand something because we've had a little taste of it. When someone else is dealing with something far more serious on the same spectrum. The reality is for every single one of us, we're different. We're all created in the image of God, but we have unique personalities. We have unique backgrounds. And, and because of that, some things are going to tempt me more than they tempt you. And some things are going to tempt you more than they tempt me. And there are all sorts of reasons and factors for that. Some of that's environmental. Some of that is the way we're wired. But when it comes to those temptations, here's the reality for all of us. We tend, and hopefully we fight against this, but we tend to dismiss other people's big, big temptation while excusing our big temptation. Like this. You know, I've experienced temptations like them. Why can't they just get over that? When we look at the big temptation in our life and somebody says that to us, we say, well, they just don't understand. They just don't know what it is I'm going through with this and how hard it is. Um, I confess this morning that, that losing my temper is one of my big temptations in my life. And everybody, who in here has ever been mad ever, right? I mean, everybody's been mad at some point. 
And people have come to me and tried to help me at different times in my life and say, you know, you have to control yourself. And that's true. God calls me to control myself in this area. But a lot of times they would give really unhelpful advice. Like I remember when I was a kid, some people told me, here's what you need to do to control your temper. Whenever you feel like you're mad, just count to 10. And so you know what I'd do? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, you know. They don't understand. They don't understand what it's like. But some of you do. Some of you know what that welling in your chest feels like. And you probably have your area that's like that, just like I have mine. And it should remind us that God has given us the steps to deal with all sin in His Son and overcome any temptation with the tools He has provided us in His Son. None of this excuses sin. But I think it should, in terms of ourselves, it should help us to show a little bit more patience and empathy and long-suffering with others. You see, the problem with what people were telling me and Maybe it worked for them, counting to 10 or whatever it was. They were advising based on their experience rather than what I was really actually going through and what the Bible actually teaches on the subject. You know, I, I looked through the Bible. I couldn't find that verse that says, you know, thou shalt count to 10 whenever thou feelst angry. It's not there, right? But the Bible does give us direction for the temptations that we have in our life. And we, I want to apply that specifically to something that all the statistics show that a lot of young people are struggling with, and that's worry and anxiety. Maybe that's because of how connected we are in the world. Maybe it's because when you mess up, it's not hidden, it's published for everyone to see. There are lots of reasons why people think that's the case, but anxiety has, has hit this generation of young people in a way that maybe it's never hit anyone else before. And a lot of adults can empathize and understand that, right? We think about worry, and Jesus says three times in Matthew 6, 25 through 34, do not worry. And sometimes our teaching on worry has been that, stop it. Jesus says don't do it, do not worry. Just pray about it and have peace, and, and that's as we stand and sing, that's it. But that's not really helpful. And I'm not talking about those folks who worry sometimes or get a little stressed. Who in here has ever been worried? Just about all of us, maybe, at some point. That's common for us. What I'm really addressing are those folks who struggle greatly with worry to the point that it becomes what we might call anxiety. It's almost constant and sometimes debilitating in their lives. And people say, everybody gets mad sometimes, control yourself. And I would say, well, maybe you don't understand exactly what I'm going through. Well, everybody has concerns sometimes. But some people really have this anxiety, and it's a big temptation for them. And, and I'll admit, I'm not a worrier. That is not a big temptation for me personally, but I've seen it, and I've had to deal with it with others in my life. And I'll be honest, you know, I haven't been preaching that long. I've been preaching full-time since 06. But the change from when I started preaching to now, in terms of our young people, and the stress level and anxiety level that they have in their lives is unbelievable. The change that has taken place in just a few years. And so I think it's important for us to be honest and open about that. 
and talk through what it is God has provided us in order, in order to overcome it. And it fits perfectly with this series on prayer because prayer is one of the two big things that we need to use in order to overcome that. Um, who in here likes the whole COVID situation? If you raise your hand, I will get mad at you on that. <laughs> but you know one good thing to come out of this whole COVID thing? Maybe just like we were talking about this morning, you know, I've realized how not in control I am. All those plans that we made, all of those things that we thought we were going to do, you know, we thought we were going to go to the Grand Canyon this summer. We thought that we had this big trip lined up, and we had these hotels reserved, all this stuff, and then, and then places start dropping like flies, and New Mexico says you have to quarantine for two weeks on your way through. All this crazy stuff starts happening, and we realize, you know what, I never was very much in control at all. And if there's anything good to come out of this situation, maybe we will realize we're not that in control of our lives and we'll turn to the one who is in control. We'll turn back to God during this time. And the sooner we realize we are not in control, the sooner we can trust the one who is and keep our focus on him and go back to that relationship in our weakness lean on his strength and so we've talked a lot our first session was about speaking to God as a friend uh, we sang just a, a moment ago I must tell Jesus right and that's great we want that relationship with him in prayer but what does it mean practically well prayer yes number one but also scripture should be our two constant companions We've talked about that two-way communication. Remember, I talk to God, but then God talks back to me as well. And I don't want to be that friend who's always talking, but never listening when it comes to God. So, let's apply that here in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. That's maybe the longest introduction I've ever given. Hopefully the sermon won't be that long either. But 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning and uh, the second half of verse 5. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. So we have to have the humility that says, I'm not in control of this. I'm not going to be able to fix it on my own. And so I need to give it over to God. Pray for those things about which we worry. Lay them at his feet. Cast them there. Um, you know what that word cast is? I love this picture. I, you know, sometimes as a preacher, you find pictures and you say, that doesn't really fit, but I'm going to put it up there anyway. This one actually fits. That's exactly what we're talking about with casting. It's throwing. That same word in Greek is used of Judas when he threw down the money in front of the chief priest. It is casting these things on God. I want to throw them as far away from me as I can. I don't want to go and pick them up again. I want to give them fully over to Him. I want to let God handle it because He cares for me. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you're a worrier, if you struggle with anxiety in this way. But for you in the room who do, here's the reality. Usually, you're pretty successful in life. If you're a worrier, usually it's because you've got lots of things to worry about and there's lots of things that you're trying to accomplish. 
But you have a hard time letting someone else do something for you. You tend to micromanage. You recheck when someone else did something for you to make sure that they did it right. But occasionally, there is someone in your life, maybe in a family relationship or someone at work, who has proven themselves over and over and over again and has earned your trust that you don't do that with them. When they say, I've got it handled, you say, okay, you handle it, and you don't go back and micromanage or check and recheck. You put your focus elsewhere without worrying about whether they did it right. What is that called? It's Sunday night, so you can talk back. What is that called? In one word. Trust. In a religious context, what do we call trust? Faith, right? It's faith. It's trust in that person because they've proven themselves. Well, God is telling you, let me handle this. And my question is, are you going to micromanage God? Are you going to go back and check and see, well, is He really going to handle it or am I going to have to handle it myself? Have faith in Him that He knows what is best and will do what is best exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all that we can ask or even think. Right, young people? But don't just pray about your worries. Also pray that God will help you to control your mind in regard to worry. One of the things I've encouraged with the young people this week, I want you to be praying about your prayer life. Asking God to help you in your prayer life, that you might become better, that you might grow closer to Him. And the same thing here, pray about your worries. When you know that you're entering a period of time or situation where you worry, and it's going to be a big temptation, pray that God will help you and provide the way of escape in those times. So go to God in prayer. Cast your cares and anxieties on Him. But then you have to get that two-way communication going. More than just small talk, right? With God, there's real communication. And this is a great example of that two-way communication because we cast this anxiety on Him, and then He answers with what we need to be doing in response if we turn to Philippians chapter two, 4. Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to spend the rest of our time, basically, tonight. Philippians chapter 4. And we'll go through this rather quickly, and you can go back and delve into it in greater detail if you so choose, but this is a section in verses 2 through 9 that is all about the struggle for our minds, for our thoughts. And that's what peace and anxiety and meditation and contentment, all words used in this section, are all about. They're about our minds. And so what actions do we need to take to guard our hearts and minds against this worry, against anxiety, to overcome it and prepare us for it when it comes back, when we are, where we are ready when that feeling comes. Well, verses 2 through 9 give us some steps to do just that. Let's read those together. I implore Eudoa, I knew how to say that before I got up here to preach, uh, and I implore Syntyche, that's the easier of the two, or ought to be, to be of the same mind to the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So here's what I want to encourage all of us to do with your temptation, whatever that is. I want you to cast it on God, go to God in prayer about it, and then find passages like this one that speak to that specific temptation. And then go through the verses in that passage and say, what is this telling me to do? And then what is this one telling me to do? And then what is this telling me to do? And I want to give the example of what I believe Paul is telling us to do in Philippians chapter 4 this evening. You know, some people have a hard time tying these verses together, verses 2 through 9. Are these just random thoughts by Paul? I don't think so. I think they are all contributing to this thought of having the peace of God. In verses 2 and 3, that word peace is not used, but that's what he's encouraging. Between these two women, they need to be at peace. To be of the same mind. To be fellow workers with your name written in the book of life. In verse 7, he says, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then in verse 9, he says, If you do what I do in this same way, the God of peace will be with you. This is the result that we want. We want the God of peace to be with us. We want God's peace to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And how do we do that? Well, if we're going to answer what anxiety comes into our life in God's way, here are the things that we have to do from this passage. Number one, we need to resolve conflicts with other Christians in a godly way. We can't control a lot of times the conflicts we have with people of the world. When it comes to our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are unified with the most important thing in common. We're saved by the blood of Jesus. And so often what happens is there is division among us for lots of other reasons. And we allow that division to come in even though we're supposed to be unified in Jesus Christ. And, and, it, and it causes anxiety. Uh, there's, a, there's a group that I know of. Um, it's interesting, I was, I was having a conversation with Jamie. It's not the group that we talked about. Another group, actually, um, there was an issue among the young people, and you know what it was? Two of them had dated and then broken up, and it just divided those young people right down the middle, and everybody had to choose sides. Isn't that sad? And here were two Christians who were dating, and that's supposed to be a wonderful thing, and now they're divided. And yet it happens. What does this have to do with anything? Well, this is supposed to be a place of support and healing and peace. What does this have to do with my anxiety? This is the place where I'm supposed to come and there not be anxiety. 
This is the place where I'm supposed to come where there isn't conflict and division. And if there is not unity with your brothers and sisters, it will be a place where the level of anxiety rises instead of falls. And how can we have peace, uh, the peace of God if we don't have peace with our brother? Um, I'm reminded of 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21, where God tells us, don't think that you can love me and hate your brother, right? How can we have the love of God and hate our brother? How can we have the peace of God and not be at peace with our brother? And so, that's what Paul tells them to do there in verse 2. Then, in verse 3, he tells us, find a brother or sister to help you. Um, he tells this true companion... This true companion is the one who's supposed to help these women. And we all need a true companion, someone who is going to help us because we are not intended as Christians to fight alone. And sometimes, what was that grass called, Philip? I love that illustration. What? what? Muley grass. Like, like a mule that you ride or carry stuff. Muley grass. I like that. Muley grass. Yeah. You know, sometimes that's, we're like mehooly grass. And we want to just pretend like everything's okay. You know, we want to put on this front and not let anybody in. But God's army is not made up of solitary soldiers. It's made up of groups of people who come together in what we call local churches to help one another and support one another and build one another up. And if you're struggling with a temptation, whether it's anxiety or something else, you need to find a brother or sister in Christ who can help you, that you can talk to and rely on, and go to them for wisdom. Young people, yes, you need to find one another in just that way. You need to be unified in just that way, but you also need to find those who are older who have been through these things and have the wisdom, the wisdom to show you the right way and how to get through these things. And you older people including you college people over here to this group, you need to be reaching out to these young people to establish relationships with them so that you can help them. And so that they're willing to listen to you when you come to try and help them. Number three, we see there in verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice that you are in the Lord. That's the way I'm going to put it, right? How is a non-Christian ever going to get through this life? Well, they get through it but that's about it sometimes. Being a Christian is what can transform us in this or any area. And yes, there is a sense in which we can take the principles of the Bible and we can apply them to our life and they can make our life a little bit better sometimes. But these things only truly work when the God of heaven is at our side. When we are in a right relationship with Him. And so establish that relationship and rejoice that you have the God of the universe working on your side. Then number four. Um, notice what he says there in the beginning of verse five. Let your gentleness, maybe your translation says, be known to all men. Some say your fairness be known, your graciousness be known. But I like the English Standard Version best in the way it translates this. I think it gets to the heart of what Paul's trying to say here. Let your reasonableness be known to all men. Have you ever thought about how all sin and all temptation for that matter is fundamentally irrational? It's unreasonable if you take the time to stop and think about it. Here's what I mean. I'm going to give up heaven and eternal life 
for a moment of sin on earth. I mean, is that reasonable? Is that logical? I'm going to harm my wife and my children and my brethren and the cause of Christ for my lustful desire that I want to look at on this computer screen. I mean, is that rational? Is that reasonable? And yet I've talked to men who struggle with pornography and they say, I'm not thinking rationally when I get down to that point in life. Or what about this? I'm going to drive someone away from the Lord to satisfy my own anger. Is that reasonable or rational? And oh yeah, Jesus died on a cross so that I could be forgiven of these things, but I'm going to do them anyway. If we stop and think sin, for someone who believes in God, sin makes no sense. And yet sometimes sin, always, sin gets us to the point where we stop thinking rationally. Where we stop thinking reasonably. And we start following the flesh instead of the mind. I think Genesis chapter 39, verses 7 through 9 is a great example. Uh, if you want to turn over there for just a moment. Genesis chapter 39, verses 7 through 9. Uh, you know this uh, account very well. This is Joseph when he was in Egypt. And I just want to read his words here. In Genesis chapter 39, beginning in verse 7, Potiphar's wife is pursuing Joseph. And notice what he says. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. And he has commanded all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That is so level-headed. That is so reasonable, isn't it? And yet we are often not so clear-headed and rational when we are tempted. And certainly that's the case when it comes to anxiety. We can stop and think outside the moment in the future. We can look back and say, you know what, that, that wasn't nearly a big, as big of a deal as I made it out to be. But what about in the moment? Well, in the moment, we have to diffuse the what-ifs that come into our mind. And we do that not by engaging them or, or not by ignoring them, but by engaging them. And I'm not talking about wallowing in these what ifs. I'm talking about addressing them instead of pretending like they're just going to go away. You know, what was the elephant in the room with Paul when he wrote this to the brethren in Philippi? He was in prison and it's very possible he was going to die. And then he writes to him and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Have joy. It's interesting to me that the biggest thing that he has to worry about from a physical perspective is that he has death that is coming. And yet he doesn't ignore it. He doesn't just put on a happy face and pretend like it isn't there. He faces it head on in chapter 1 and verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. 
Paul doesn't try and push that down and not think about it. Oh, I don't want to think about whether I'm going to live or die when I stand before the emperor. He doesn't do that. Instead, he says, it's possible. Yeah, I might die. But to live is Christ. And to die is gain. And he could handle the comparatively literal, littler worries too because of that. Nobody comes to help me. Nobody comes to support me. He talks about in this book, well, I can do all things through Christ. Instead of, oh no, and oh no, oh no, it needs to be... You know, so what? What if the worst thing actually does happen that I'm worried about? I can do it. I can handle it through Christ. And the Lord is near. That's the next thing that we see there in our text. Remember that the Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. I love that illustration. How close is God? Ta-da! He's at hand. He's right here. That's how close God is. And that could mean a couple of things that are helpful to us. Christ is close and Christ is coming. Oh no, what am I going to do? Well, well, so what? Christ is close. Christ is right here. He is with me. And we can handle this together. And memorizing and reciting Scripture can be very helpful in this regard. The Lord, the Lord of heaven and earth is near to me. Or maybe we say, oh no, what am I going to do? And we should say, so what? Christ is coming, and when He comes, all these things are going to be burned up anyway. I'm going to heaven when I die. The Lord is at hand, and He is close. And then as it relates specifically to the things we've been talking about this weekend, in everything, go to God with prayer and supplication and requests. These words are all talking about the things that we need from God. Not intercession on the part of others, not even praise to God specifically, but prayer and supplication and requests. And there is a level of simplicity implied here. Nothing is too big or too small for God. And don't get caught in that trap of saying, well, well how can I pray to God? This is stupid that I'm even worried about this. Get it together. Why can't I handle this? I bet no one else is struggling with this today. Get over all that. You go to God with exactly what's bothering you. Cast it at His feet. We sing a song sometimes. Y'all sing the song, Does Jesus Care? Y'all sing that song? Does Jesus care? And it describes all of these different, different scenarios. And then in the chorus it says, I, oh yes, He cares. I know He cares. And that's not us trying to convince ourselves of that. We're just reminding ourselves of that reality. That yes, He cares because He has proven it over and over and over again. I was talking to somebody just recently and they were talking about something that was bothering them in their life. And you know what they said? They said, it just seems so silly to pray for this. And I said, well, is it bothering you? They said, oh, yes. I said, is it important to you? They said, oh, yes. I said, then, then it's important to God. It's not silly if it's something that you care about. Pray about it. Because God doesn't run out of answers to prayers. He's not too busy to be bothered with something. God is an inexhaustible source of strength and answers and comfort and peace. What does 1 Peter 5 and verse 7 say? Does it say cast some of your cares and anxieties on Him? Does it say cast your really big anxieties on Him? No! It says casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. All means all. 
in everything, go to God with these things that are troubling you in your life. And do so, number seven, with thanksgiving, he says there in verse six. You know, sometimes we look at worry and we miss the primary cause of worry. What is the main cause of worry? Think about that for just a second. I'm trying to give you full satisfaction tonight. What is the primary cause of worry? Is it the things that happen to us? Or is it the things that we think might happen to us? Isn't it those things that we are uncertain about that cause us to worry? The things that might happen to us? It's not about the realized problems of today. No, we take those things and we deal with them. It is about the potential problems of tomorrow that we worry. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 34 says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Worry is about what is potentially wrong in the future. Now what is exactly the opposite of that? Not worrying about what is potentially wrong. Thanksgiving is just the opposite. Thanksgiving is being grateful about what is actually right. What has actually happened. And so if we want to fight against worry, the opposite of that is thanksgiving. These things are actually right in my life. These things have actually happened. These things are real. It's not a fantasy that may or may not happen in the future. It's tangible. It's here. And there is always something to be thankful for. Find it. Thank God for it. And if we can be more thankful, we will have less anxiety. And then finally, verse 8. God's answer to anxiety is meditating on the right things. This is both a cause and an effect in some ways. Meditating on the right things helps us with our anxiousness, and getting control of our anxiety helps us to meditate on the right things, no doubt. And that's the thing with worry and anxiety. They are ultimately just thoughts. And Paul suggests that we are the ones who are in control of our thoughts. Read that list again with me there in the book of Philippians. What does he say in verse 8? Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell, meditate on these things. It's not that we don't think about potential problems and so forth, but we go there on a business trip. You know, we go there for a little while, then we come back to where we dwell. We come back to our house where our mind focuses itself, and it's going to be on these things that we find there on verse 8. Paul suggests that we are ultimately the ones who are in control of our own thoughts, the things we think about. And you might say, no, I worried about this or that that happened or could happen. I just, I just worry about that. Well, you can't control what happens to you, but no one controls the way you think except you. And so we need to think about and implement God's answers to this or any problem. And this process that we've described and that we've talked about with these young people of praying to God first and then coming to His book for answers in response works for any temptation. I'm not overstating that. 
It works for any temptation. It's worked for me. Um, I was talking. I was talking here just before services, and somebody said, "Oh, you don't struggle with your anger." Well, I hope. I hope I don't come across as an angry person. That's really what I hope. That's what I'm going for, right? Because I've brought this under control. It's still there. I'm still working on it. But I've brought it under control. How? Because I have prayed fervently to God over and over and over for help. And then I go to His Word and I find passages like, Be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. I find passages like, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You want to know why I have those passages memorized? Because I've said them a billion times. And God was there with me, helping me. But only if you're a Christian. We said before, some of these things might be helpful to you. you. You implement some of those things, and you're more thankful and so forth. Maybe that'll help you some. But all you're doing is managing the things and problems in your life, if that's the case. You want to overcome them? That only happens in Christ. Christ is the one. Christ is the one who came to conquer sin and death and the grave for us. Because we could not conquer them ourselves. And it is only through Him that ultimately we can have the victory over any temptation, over any sin. So won't you come to Him even tonight? Won't you put Christ on in baptism that you might rise to walk in newness of life?